Welcome back, friends, to our study of 1 Corinthians. Thank you for your commitment to Bible study here at Wesley Memorial Church in High Point, North Carolina. We take very, very seriously a study, a study of God's Word and growing in the faith. We are beginning in chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians. We'll be looking at the first 13 verses as Paul helps this new, fresh, young church in the Greek city of Corinth to become more and more Christ-like as they grow in their newfound Christian faith. So let's dig into the text, beginning at verse 1. Paul says to the church there in Corinth, For I do not want you to be unawares, brothers, but that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. So what in the world is Paul talking about here? Uh, He is uh, starting a new topic Uh, He is using some of his language that usually tells us he's about to start a new topic that he considers to be very important. That's what he means when he says, I do not want you to be unawares, brothers, brothers and sisters. And then he starts talking about our fathers. Now, he's taking us back to the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible. So notice that he considers the uh, Israelite fathers to be our fathers. We are the continuation of the, uh, the people of Israel. The Christian church today is a continuation, culmination of the people of Israel. He's using an Old Testament story here uh, to illustrate a spiritual truth. Uh, for these early Christians, he's talking about the wilderness wanderings of these uh, early Israelites. He's taken us back particularly to the book of Numbers and a couple stories in the book of Numbers. He's talking about how they, they're they wandering through the wilderness. And if you recall some of your uh, Old Testament uh, history, you recall that uh, there's a couple occurrences in the book of Numbers where you see that Moses strikes a rock and water flows out of that rock. Uh, You see that there uh, is one account of that in Numbers chapter 20, which comes near the end of the wilderness wandering. There's also an account of that happening in Exodus 17 at the beginning of the wilderness wandering. So there at least appears to be two accounts in the Hebrew Bible, of the wilderness wanderings. Uh, That gave rise to a a rabbinic tradition or rabbinic legend uh, that I think is behind what Paul is saying here uh, because he's talking about this spiritual rock that gave them spiritual drink following them. And then he says this rock was Christ. So the, the rabbinic legend or rabbinic tradition was that it didn't just happen at the beginning and at the end where Moses got 
water out of the rock, but that somehow that rock followed them throughout their wilderness wanderings. Uh, like the cloud that led them by day, the fire that led them by night, that somehow this rock followed them and gave them spiritual drink. Uh, they received spiritual food from the manna that was delivered to them in the wilderness, but this rock was bringing them spiritual drink. Uh, so maybe he's making reference to that uh, as he talks about this spiritual rock following them. He says that in verse 4. And then he says this rock was Christ. So Paul wants to say that this rock that was made available to them during their wilderness wanderings was the pre-incarnate Jesus, was Christ, was Christ taking care of them. Um, this is significant for Christian theology because it shows some of our high Christology. The word rock is being used here for Christ. That's a word from the Hebrew Bible uh, that is used for God, Jehovah, Yahweh, and now it's being uh, used for Christ. Uh, it shows the preexistence of Christ before Christ took flesh in Bethlehem around 2,000 years ago. He already existed. He was this rock. In this instance, was this rock that followed them and gave them spiritual drink. What Paul is getting at here is um, the perils of being overconfident. Here, these early Israelites were wandering through the wilderness. The fathers were wandering through the wilderness. They were baptized into Moses, is what Paul says here. They were giving gifts, the cloud uh, that led them by day, the fire that led them by night, the spiritual drink, the spiritual food, the manna, uh, how they were led through the uh, Red Sea with a parting of the water. So in so many ways, they experienced tremendous works and wondrous signs and wonders from God. Um, you would think that because of all that they experienced in their wilderness wanderings, how God led them through uh, their exodus from Egypt into the land of promise, into Canaan, that they would just live exemplary spiritual lives. That's not what happens, and that's why Paul is using this as an example for the Corinthians of the peril of being overconfident. Uh, we need to remember, and Paul's going to say more about this, that um, these, these early blessings do not continue, uh, do not guarantee that the blessings will continue in our lives. Early blessings don't guarantee final blessings. We have to stay true to Christ. We have to stay uh, true to our calling. Uh, we've got to uh, stay in the faith. We've got to stay close to Christ. Here this, this wilderness wandering generation saw so many wonderful things from God. But you notice that it says that, um, let's continue, verse 5, nevertheless... With most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Uh, you know how it ends. Um, that's really an understatement when it says, with most of them, God was not pleased. Only two, only two people, uh, Caleb and Joshua, who left Egypt makes it into the land of promise. So all of them had to be overthrown in the wilderness, to use Paul's language here. The word overthrown there in verse 5 is literally were laid low in the wilderness. The image here is that the wilderness, the desert, was um, 
strewn with the dead bodies, the corpses of the Israelites. They all die in the wilderness. A new generation has to be birthed. And only two, Caleb and Joshua, that left Egypt make it into the land of promise. They saw wonderful, powerful things from God in the Exodus and in the wilderness, but um, that didn't guarantee their final salvation. That didn't guarantee their final blessing and entrance into the land. Uh, so Paul is using this Old Testament history as a warning to the Corinthians. You've got to start well and you've got to end well. Look at verse 6. Paul's going to make it even a little clearer. He says, now these things took place as examples or types. The word there in Greek is literally typoi, types. Now these things took place as examples for us. He's talking to the first century Christians, uh, the Christian community there in Corinth. He says these examples from our Israelite fathers from the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, took place so that they could be examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Even with what all God did for them to bring them out of bondage in Egypt, uh, they still desired evil. You know the stories. They, they got involved in idolatry there in the wilderness wanderings. You recall the story of the golden calf. When Moses was gone, they went to Aaron. They, they took their gold and they created an, an idol, a golden calf, and they worshiped that idol. And then they also, you'll see a reference in a moment here, they also not only worshiped that golden calf, but they gave themselves into se to sexual immorality. So this wilderness generation... Uh, they, they got involved in idolatry. They got involved in immorality. And we know several accounts of how they got involved in grumbling against Moses. Uh, and this example of this behavior from these early Israelites are supposed to serve as an example for us. Back to verse 6. Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Continue on verse 7. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. That comes from that episode of the creation of the golden calf and the party that they gave after the creation of the golden calf. And it's when Moses comes down on from, a, from atop Mount Sinai and he sees their partying in the midst of their worship of the golden calf. He gets so furious, he, he breaks the Ten Commandments. The word there, rose up to play, uh, as we're going to see in verse 8, the word there in verse 7, to play, implies sexual playing. It implies an orgy. It implies sexual morality. That was part of their idolatry. It seems to always go with idolatry. Uh, it all seems to always go with um, uh, walking away, leaving the God we love. Uh, that idolatry tends to bear immoral fruit in our lives. That's why uh, as soon as he quotes this text from the Hebrew Bible about they sat down to eat and they drank and they rose up to play. Verse 8 says, we must not indulge in sexual immorality. 
as some of them did, because that's part of what happened with uh, their worshiping of the golden calf, the sexual immorality. And Paul here says, and 23,000 fell in a single day. Uh, perhaps you recall that story from the Hebrew Bible. You can go back and read it in Exodus chapter 32. Uh, after uh, Moses comes down off the mountain, and he sees them worshiping the golden calf. He sees them being involved in sexual morality. Um, many of them, many of them died. The book of Numbers says 24,000. Paul here says 23,000. Keep in mind, Paul doesn't have a copy of the Old Testament in front of him. He is going on his inspired memory, and he's rounding off the numbers to 23, 24,000 people died in a single day because of their immorality. Even though they were the generation that God had delivered, they were the generation that saw that great sign and wonder being led through the Dead Sea. They were the generation that saw the cloud that led them by day, the fire that led them by night. They were the generation that received the spiritual drink from the rock. They received the spiritual food, uh, the manna that God provided but they still fell prey to idolatry and sexual immorality. And Paul is saying it did not end well for them. Verse 9, we must not put Christ to the test. Uh, that's what he's seeing that they did when they worshipped that golden calf. We must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. That goes back to the story in Exodus chapter 23, uh, the 23,000, 24,000 destroyed by the serpents. Verse 10, nor, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. So he's using that example there of what happened when they worshipped the golden calf and they got involved in sexual immorality and then God's judgment fell on them and 23,000, 24,000 of them were destroyed. They were testing God at that point. And uh, this is the example that Paul is using with the church at Corinth to call them away from idolatry, to call them away from sexual immorality, uh, to call them away from grumbling against what God is doing in their midst. Um, so this is to be an example to these people. Uh, you can't rest on your laurels. You have to be careful. Self-confidence can bring a certain peril uh, if it causes you to quit trusting in God. Uh, notice Paul's going to bring it home now by drawing his conclusions. Verse 11 uh, through the remainder of these verses will end with verse 13. Verse 11, Paul says, Now these things happen to them as an example but they were written down for our instruction, on whom the end of the ages has come. Uh, with the coming of Christ, uh, the death, burial, resurrection, ascension of Christ, and the gift of the Holy Spirit, the end of the age is beginning. It did begin. We are in the last days. We are in that period between uh, the work of Christ there on Calvary, death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and uh, the consummation of that work that will happen in the second coming. That's why Paul refers to this whole time period that we're living in as the end of the ages. So we have the Hebrew Bible for those of us in the church age to, to glean wisdom from. Verse 12, therefore, and this is almost a summary statement, therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Again, the peril of self-confidence, the peril of resting on your laurels, the resting, the, the peril of becoming 
lazy about spiritual things. Uh, the early Christian fathers uh, had a term, ascedia. Ascedia was the, uh, one of the seven deadly sins. It sometimes gets translated laziness or sloth. But ascedia in the Christian tradition is a form of laziness, is a form of slothfulness. It is one of the seven deadly sins, but it is particularly laziness about spiritual things. Uh, the early church fathers and mothers called Asedia the noonday devil. You know, at the, at the height of the day when, the, when that, the sun is the strongest and the heat's bearing down on you and you're just tired, you're weary, you let your guard down, you quit trying to pursue the life of faith. That's acedia, spiritual laziness, spiritual slothfulness. When you want to take a vacation from passionately following Christ, um, that's what Paul's talking about here. He says, therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Um, you don't need to get into the theology of falling as to how far someone in Christ can fall. You just need to pay attention that you stand. You need to pay attention to protect your heart. You need to pay attention to make sure that you're spiritually growing. You need to pay attention to make sure that you are um, using the means of grace. Uh, that you're daily uh, striving toward perfection to become more and more the person God has called you to become. Don't, don't test God to see how far you can fall, to see how far from grace you can fall. Uh, just, just take heed lest you fall. That's what Paul's saying here. He's using these examples from the Hebrew Bible to say these were people who experienced tremendous, mighty works of God. And then the next thing you know, they're, they're involved in idolatry, worshiping a golden calf. They're involved in sexual immorality. And throughout all of that, they're grumbling about what God is doing or not doing in their life there in the desert. So it's a word of warning that we need to pay attention to. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. There's... there's um, an old tradition in the Christian community that goes back to our earlier days, earliest days, that at the end of every day, we go through a moral inventory. We evaluate our life. We reflect on that day we have lived and see whether or not we've lived it faithfully, to see whether or not we've grown in our discipleship or if we have been spiritually lazy committing sins of omission and sins of commission, doing those things that we should not have done or failing to do the things that we should have done. That's the sins of omission. So, therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Uh, there can be a lot of distractions in life that can pull us away from our love of Jesus Christ. We can fall from that first love. Um, so Paul is giving a warning to the church there in Corinth. He's giving a warning to us today to make sure that we stay true to Christ. Um, but then we run across one of the greatest promises that we find in 1 Corinthians. It's a tremendous promise. Uh, as, he, as soon as he says, take heed, um, make sure you're standing, Make sure that you're not in the process of falling. Make sure that you're staying true. You're putting on the full armor of God. You're doing what God's calling you to do. He says in verse 13, he says, No temptation. 
And the word there is a broad word in the Greek. It can actually mean temptation and testing. No temptation, no testing has overtaken you. That is not common to man not common to the human experience. You see, he's showing us examples from our Israelite fathers to show that they, they were tested, they were tempted, um, and some of them held true, Joshua and Caleb, some of them did not. So he says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. And then he says, God is faithful. Uh, N.T. Wright, a great New Testament scholar of, of whom I'm very fond, said that um, we, we, should, we should write these words, allow them to be carved in letters of gold on our memory and on, the, on our imagination. These words, God is faithful. We need to remember that when temptation comes, uh, testing comes, when the world tries to draw us away from Christ, uh, we need to remember God is faithful. And then notice what Paul says here at the latter part of verse 13. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with temptation, with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape. Uh, the Greek word there is ekbasis, and it literally means a, a mountain pass. He will make sure that there will be a, a way through the mountain in front of you. He will provide the way of escape, the way through the mountain in front of you, the way of escape from temptation so that you may be able to endure it, is what Paul says. Let me just read that again. This is a tremendous promise. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Notice what Paul's saying here. Notice what Paul's not saying here. The Bible never says that God will not put on you more than you can bear. That is a misquotation of New Testament for a couple reasons. One is just not what is said. And secondly, it's not God putting it on you. So when you hear someone or you're prone to say, well, remember, God will never put more on you than you can stand. God will never put more on you than you can bear. That's not what the Bible teaches. Uh, find me that verse and show it to me. That's not what the Bible teaches. Again, saying it that way makes it sound as if God is putting it on you. <coughs> Excuse me. God is putting it on you. Um, that's not what, what the Bible teaches. What is being taught to us here is that God is faithful, and when we find ourselves in the middle of testing and temptation, it's not something that God's putting on us. God did not make the golden calf for those Israelites so that they could worship it and get involved in sexual immorality. It's not God putting it on them. What is being promised here is when we find ourselves in the midst of testing or temptation, when we find ourselves in the midst of distractions that are pulling us away from Christ, our faith in God, the promise is not that God will not give us more than we can bear because it's not God giving it to us anyway. And uh, believe, believe you me that the enemy, Satan, will put more on you than you can bear. But what you need to remember is that God always provides a way of escape so that we may be able to endure it. 
God provides us an ekbasis. He provides us a mountain pass, a way out. And that's what God always provides us. When, when we're in the midst of testing or temptation, whether it comes from our enemies, whether it comes from the enemy of our soul, whether it comes from just our own sinful nature, whether we, it comes from our own stupidity and what we choose to do sometime in life, wherever the testing or temptation comes from, remember God is never the author of evil, wherever the testing or temptation comes from, we need to remember God is faithful Excuse me. God, we need to remember that God is faithful and there will be a way of escape. We can find the spiritual resources to get us through that time of temptation. We can find the spiritual resources to get us through the trial. Um, Everyone did not have to participate there in Exodus 32 with the worship of the golden calf idol. Everyone didn't have to participate uh, in the sexual immorality, the revelry, the orgy that took place along with that pagan worship. Everyone did not have to participate in their grumbling against Moses uh, as their leader. Um, There was always a way of escape. They could always choose otherwise. God has given us the spiritual resources so that we can stand strong. Whether it's other people in our lives, sisters and brothers in Christ, the power of prayer, the power of fleeing to the presence of Christ in worship, whether it's the sacraments that God gives us, the list goes on. Um, Think about even Joseph, the Old Testament Joseph, who when Potiphar's wife grabbed him to try to seduce him, he just fled. He ran. There is always a way of escape. We can never just say, well, the devil made me do it. God will always make sure that we have an out. We have a mountain pass through which we can find our way of escape. And that's, that's, what, that's what's promised to us here in this text. It's not God putting stuff on us, and it's not some vague promise that God will never put more on us than we can bear. Is that whatever life throws at us, we have the resources. We have the resources to endure. Uh, this is a great promise. Let me just um, reread it one more time as we wrap up. Paul says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man, common to the human experience. God is faithful, Paul declares, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. You can stand, Paul says, but with the temptation, with the testing, with the trial, God will also provide the way of escape that we may be able to endure. Sometimes we won't We want the temptation more than we want the way of escape. Um, But but God is faithful. He always provides a way for us to stand when life around us wants to pull us away from our faith in Christ. So here in this text, Paul is using examples from the Old Testament to tell us to be careful of being overconfident. We we need to stay humble. We need to understand that we are always liable to fall. So we need to do those things that helps us stay strong um, in in our walk with Christ. Well, thank you for joining us for this time. We will pick up next week with 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 14. Um, 
as Paul is teaching us how to, how to be strong in the faith, how to prevail uh, for the purposes of Jesus Christ in our lives. Again, thank you for um, your commitment to serious Bible study. God bless you.